Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 17 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will, be, that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Maybe seated, maybe be blessed by the reading of God's word. If you remember from last week, where we left off this passage was uh, the idea that the angels are looking over us from heaven with this great anticipation about salvation, that salvation is the thing that the angels will never experience. And so we were left off with this idea of our salvation. That's kind of what we've been journeying, journeying through all of First Peter 1 through uh, 12 that we've been through the last several weeks is this idea that there's this grace that God has given us that covers our disgrace, that He, in First Peter chapter 1 and 2, uh, verses 1 and 2, He calls us, He's called us the elect, that He chose us, and in choosing us, He gives us this great salvation that even the angels look upon. And so for us, as we think of that idea this morning, that even the angels look with this great expectation on our salvation, how much more do we look at our own salvation? If the angels in heaven in this very moment are appearing all over God's creation with this anticipation of what it would look like for people to come to know Christ and have this experience, salvation with Christ, how much more do we look on our own salvation? I hope that um, your salvation, when God chose you from death to life, that you and I would always have this eager expectation to see what God is going to continue to do in our lives. Not just the moment of our justification, but the ongoing process of our sanctification. There's this day in and day out, this ongoing process of us becoming more and more and more and more like Christ. And so this morning, he's going to tell us, hey, here's our hopeful response. That's the title of this message this morning, our hopeful response to our salvation. If God has called us from death to life, now there's this hopeful uh, response that you and I must have in our salvation. And so the rest of, really, the rest of First Peter is all going to be about our sanctification. The first 12 verses really had to do with our justification. He kind of led into our trials in our uh, sanctification. But the rest of it is, okay, now that you're saved, how are you going to live out your salvation? How are we going to live out Christ calling us from death to life? It's what we studied through uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, that God calls us into his kingdom. Once we're in his kingdom, we must live different lives. We cannot live the lives we've always lived prior to our salvation. If our life looks no different on this side of our salvation than it did the previous side of salvation, you and I must ask the question, am I really saved? Because if the grace of God has so compelled you to the forgiveness of your sins and me as well, and my life looks no different, then I've got to ask myself, did, was there really transformation that happened? Was there really salvation that took place in my heart if my life looks no different? There's a lot of people that claim to be believers, but their life looks no different. 
And that's what Peter's going to journey us through, is that we as the church, universal, collectively here at Powell's Chapel, but you as the church, we must live different lives. We must have a hopeful response to our salvation. This morning we're going to look at holiness. If you turn to 1 Peter chapter 13. This is how it reads, but I'm going to read you how the Greek reads it to you. So I'll first read it. I won't read Greek because I'll butcher it to death. I'll read how the Greek structure would have taken place. Uh, this is how what we read in our Bible. Therefore, prepare your minds for actions and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that was brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, anytime we see the word therefore, uh, we got to ask ourselves the question, what is therefore, therefore? He's talking about, so circle that in your Bible, the therefore has to do with our justification. That's what he's just talked about in the first 12 verses. And so he's saying, therefore, since you have been justified, now what, do you, what does it look like for you to move on? So the Greek would read it this way. Therefore, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus. So he's saying, therefore, set your hope on the revelation that was brought to you at the time of your salvation. So we, Peter's telling us, in our salvation, now we have to set this hope. Now here's the deal with hope in the Bible that's different than hope in our day and age. When you and I think of hope, hope is this expectation that something might happen. Right? When I have a hope for something, I hope that it might happen. I hope that it might occur, that there's a chance that it could occur. When we see hope in the Bible, it's not a hope that might happen. It's a hope that has already taken place. So it's not this hopeful thing that we wait for anticipation that it might happen. It's this hopeful anticipation of, no, when will it happen? It's going to happen. It has happened. And so we wait with hope because we declare that God's word is true. And so we set our hope. What's our hope? Our hope is uh, our salvation. What is our salvation? Our salvation is that we're justified before God, that Christ died for us, therefore we have this hope of eternity with Him forever. Not that, hey, it might happen, I might uh, get into heaven. No, I can't wait to get into heaven. That is a done deal for us in our justification in Christ and Christ alone. And so we set our hope on that. And so we have a hope of going into heaven. He now tells us, Peter now says, if you have that hope, then do something with your hope. You see, so often when we have hope, it's like we just sit and wait and wait and wait. Kind of the idea of a, of a I, I don't like hospitals, but it's the, the, the idea of an ER. We come into our justification and then we are waiting to see the doctor. And in our salvation, we sit in a waiting room waiting to see the doctor rather than in our salvation. We do something rather than waiting. See, God never called us to wait to get to heaven. We're not in a waiting game to get to heaven. We have a hope that we're going to get to heaven, and because we're going to get to heaven, we're going to do things in our lives that will point to, hey, we're going to heaven. And so my life has to look as if I'm already going to heaven, not that I'm sitting and waiting. That's the idea of sanctification. And so Peter's saying, hey, set your hope fully on the revelation that was given to you by Christ and then do these things as you hope. So Peter isn't saying, hey, you have the hope, you're getting to heaven. He's saying to us now, now that you've set your hope on getting to heaven and being with God forever and ever, this is what you are to do as you wait. 
And he says these two things. It's the very first commandment in the book of Peter. Peter gives these commands as we are to have a hopeful response. The beauty is that God's commands are always seasoned with grace. God knows that we cannot always uh, be totally obedient, so he gives us grace in the commands. He knows that because he's going to call us to something that we cannot do on on our own. We cannot live out holiness on our own. Therefore, all of God's commands are seasoned with grace. So the first two commands he says to us here as we sit and we wait in hope, as we live out our sanctification, is to do these two things. The first one he says what? He says, prepare your minds. So as we sit and we wait, we are to prepare our minds. We are to do something. This is an action commandment. Do something as you wait. And the word literally means this, to gird up the loins of your minds. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, you'll hear, you may have heard this idea before, that when the, the men of Israel were to go to battle, they wore uh, kind of dresses. That's the best way to explain it. I don't know why they wore dresses, but that's what they wore back then. Thank goodness we don't wear dresses today. But the idea was that when the men would go to battle, they would take their uh, skirts or their dresses, their long uh, clothing, and they would take it by the ankles and they'd pull it up and then they'd wrap it between their legs and tuck it into their belt so that they could have more maneuverability. Uh, I've never run in a skirt, but it looks funny when girls do run in skirts. And so that's what Peter is telling us. Hey, the first thing you're to do when you are waiting in eager expectation with the hope of getting to heaven, hey, you are to be prepared for action. That's what he says to us. Prepare your minds for action. He's saying to us, hey, living the Christian life is not going to be easy. Amen? When we step out of living counter to the world, we're going to be hit with tons of adversity. More so than we lived in the world. See, when we begin to come to know Christ and our salvation taking root in our lives, we begin to live a different way. When we live a different way, we become an enemy of the world. And when we become an enemy with the world, we must be ready for action. We are going to be more attacked as believers than as unbelievers. I hope you've experienced that uh, literally. We've talked about that uh, in here. When I begin to live different and contrary to the world, the world is going to begin to press upon me to change back so that I'm no longer a threat to to the enemy. See, as I live out my Christian life, I become an enemy of Satan. If I become an enemy of Satan, then I am going to advance God's kingdom. If I'm advancing God's kingdom, the enemy is going to want to come against me. Satan does not want me to live out my Christian life with full expectation, with full hope. Because if I begin to live out that way, then the people around me will see that there's a difference in me, and then maybe that will change the course of their life as well. And then there's more of an army against Satan. And so Peter is saying to us, hey, when you sit and you wait for this eager expectation, you're going to live a life, and in living a life contrary to the world, you must anticipate and be ready for the attacks that are going to come. And so he says to us, hey, gird up the loins of your mind. And so the first question I have for me, for us this morning is this. We're going to get to the next command is this first part. Where are the loose ends of my mind? 
Where does my mind tend to wander? See, when my mind begins to wander, I'm going to get distracted. I don't want to be in, in, in battle with a distracted person. I don't want to be in a foxhole with someone that has extreme ADD. I just don't. And I definitely don't want to be in the Christian life with someone that has spiritual ADD. Because if they're not so focused on the hope that they have in Christ, and they're bouncing from here to there to there to there, then they don't really have my back. And so what Peter is telling us this morning is, hey, tighten those things in your mind that lead you to distraction. And then he's going to tell us next this. And so this morning for us, the picture is this. Hey, wherever your mind tends to wander, he's saying to us, hey, be prepared. Tighten those things that where your mind wanders so that you're prepared for battle. The promise is this. There is a battle waiting for us. The promise is we're in a battle now. And we as believers, we must tighten those loose places in our mind to be prepared for the battle that's coming against us. Are you prepared? Am I prepared? Or do I tend to wander? Uh, I love that old hymn, I'm prone to wander. That's what Peter's talking about. Wherever it is, and and wandering, we're going to get to this next part. Wandering isn't always sin. Like wandering could be our anxieties. Wandering could be our fears. Wandering could be our hopes other than what we set our hope in Christ Jesus. Those are all the places. Wandering could be our dreams. I'm not saying we're not to get, we're going to ever get rid of anxiety. That's impossible, human beings. I'm not saying to stop dreaming. I'm not saying to not have hope in anything other than your salvation. But I am saying to us is anywhere that my mind tends to wander more than it is to be set in the hope, I'm in danger. And therefore, the people around me are in danger. Is my salvation and the hope of eternal glory with God, first and foremost, is my hope of whatever, fill in the blank, more important? My job, my family, my, you fill in the blank. It's said this way in some cases. Anything I put before God, I'm going to end up losing anyway. Anything in my life that I put before God, then that just becomes an idol, eventually. And so you having a desire to have a better job, today it may not be sin, but if I continue to let my mind wander there, it will become idolatrous. When it becomes idolatrous, then it becomes a sin, and then sin keeps me out of relationship with God. And so wherever it is that today you can sit and think, man, I need to prepare my mind. I need to prepare my mind. Here's what one writer says. If God is going to have your heart, he must have your mind. I love that quote. If God's going to have my heart, he has to have my mind first. All throughout the Bible, we see God dealing with the heart, but we also see God dealing with the mind. God must be Lord of your heart just as much as God must be Lord of your mind. He's got to reign supreme in both places. And when he reigns supreme in both places, those places come together to be prepared for battle. The next thing, the next command that God gives, not only are we to prepare our minds for battle, but we are what? He says this, being sober-minded. What does it mean to be sober-minded? 
You see, Peter's going to use the analogy or the metaphor of a drunk person. I don't know if you've ever been around drunk people. Uh, but, but it's not f- always fun. And so what Peter's saying to us is, hey, be prepared in your mind, but also be sober-minded. I don't know. I don't want to be in a foxhole with someone that's not prepared, and I definitely don't want to be in a foxhole with someone that's drunk. And so what Peter is saying, not only do we have to prepare our minds, but we have to live a life of being sober. And so what does that mean? What does it mean? See, when I'm not sober, I've let something else enter into my body to gain control of my mind and my heart. That's what alcohol does. That's what drugs does. That's what sex does. That's what fame does. I can get drunk on fame. I can get drunk on a job. I can get drunk. So if I'm not setting my mind on these things, I begin to wander this way. The more I wander, the more I'm going to get drunk. So for me, in order to be sober, I've got to first prepare my mind. Because if I don't prepare my mind, I will end up not having a sober mind. I'll have a drunk mind. I will have things that alter me, that will numb me. And it's all going to go back to hope. You see, if I have anything other than my hope and my salvation, the, the reality is, if I put hope in my family, well, what happens when things go wrong in my family? I'm going to want to numb that pain. What happens if I put all my hope in my job and something happens in my job? I'm going to want to numb the pain of the hope that I put it all in my job. You see, we cannot set our hope fully in Christ if we're not fully sober. I can't have a full hope in Christ if I don't have a sober mind to put my hope in. If I'm distracted in my thinking, then I'm going to be distracted in my hope. That's what God says, Jesus says to us in the Sermon on the Mount that we taught on. Remember, he, he says to us, hey, you, you can't have two masters. You either love the one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one or be devoted to the other. You cannot be fully devoted to both. And so for me and for you is, what is my mind preoccupied with? That's where I'm going to prepare my mind. And then where are the places in my life that I could be drunk on other things? Maybe it is alcohol for you this morning. Maybe it is drugs for you this morning. But maybe it's more the, the other, the subtle things. Maybe it's the comfort of your job. Maybe it's uh, the comfort of where God has you today. Maybe it's complacency. And we can be uh, intoxicated with those things. And if I'm intoxicated then I won't set my mind fully on the hope that comes to me through Christ Jesus. And now he's going to tell us, okay, now that you've set your mind on these things, you've set your mind on this hope of salvation through uh, being prepared, girding up the loins of your minds and being sober-minded, he's now going to tell us, how do we maintain our hope? It's this next passage of Scripture. So the first thing is for us is we set our hope on Christ We set our hopes by being prepared and sober-minded. Now we go into the maintenance part of our hope. How do we maintain the hope that He's just called us to? We we need hope, correct? 
I need a hope. And so how do I maintain this hope so I don't let hope get away from me? Like, how do I maintain this hope that, man, there is glory to come for me? How do I maintain that hope? The first one we see is this. The first way to maintain our hope is through what he tells us in verse uh, 14. We are as obedient children. The first way we maintain hope is through obedience. You see, what that word picture there that Peter is using isn't that we are to... um, to be obedient, though we are, he's saying to us, you are obedient. See, there's a difference there. He's not calling us to obedience. He's making a declaration to us as children of God. If you are children of God, you live a life of obedience. That is who you are. He's not saying that's who you become. He's saying that's who you are today. When I come from death to life and God's sanctification, God's justification is on my life, I now live a life of obedience. I'm not called to be obedient. I am now obedient. Now the call is to be obedient, but what Peter's saying to us in this passage is, hey, to maintain the hope, you live obedient as obedient children. You are obedient. And we're going to get to that part of we're children of God. We've got to remember the Father. That's the last thing on this list. You see, Tennyson and Cedar can't help but to look like me. They don't wake up in the morning and think, man, I'd like to look like Dad today. No, they look, wake up in the morning and they look like Dad today. They don't, they don't, that's not an option for them. And that's what he's saying to us here in this passage. If you really are children of God, then you take on the obedience that God already has. You are that. That's in your DNA. Obedience is now, it's what Paul tells us in Corinthians, you are now new creations. You are now new creatures when you come from death to light. And in that, there's been a true transformation, and part of that transformation is the DNA of obedience. You are now obedient children. And so we maintain our hope by living obedient children to God the Father. The next one is this. Probably the most important, important one to me on the list is not only are you to be obedient but he says do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance the second one is this we are to be non-conformist paul says it this way if you want to turn over to romans chapter 12 verses 1 to 2 peter is saying for us to maintain our hope we can no longer be conformed to this world paul says it this way I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's what we just talked about in the first two. Preparing our minds and living soberly, we live sacrificially, we present our bodies back to God through those those ways as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Verse 2. Do not be what? Conformed to this world but be transformed by by what? The renewing of your mind. The only way that I'm going to be a nonconformist is by the renewal of my mind. It's exactly what Peter just told us in the first uh, verses, in verse 13. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by by, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so the only way I'm going to know the will of God is to be transformed in my mind. I'm to be a non-conformist. I cannot conform 
any longer to the patterns of this world. I must be set apart. He's going to call us to that here in a moment. That's what the word holy means, to be set apart. So for me to be set apart, I have to live a holy life. And for me to maintain my hope, I must live a life that's separate from the world. The same is true for us when it comes to uh, our, our vehicles. We must maintain our vehicles. We must take care of them. The way that we take care of our vehicles is by putting gas in them and oil of them and changing the tires, rotating the tires, changing the filters. That's what, what Paul is saying for us here. Hey, for us, when we come into our salvation, we can no longer conform to the patterns of this world. Here's another way that Paul says it in Galatians chapter 5. We are to be nonconformists. But I say, Paul says, walk by the Spirit. See, the way for us not to be conformist to the world is if we are submitted and we walk by the Spirit. Am I led by the Spirit? Does my day in and day out give reflection that I walk by the Spirit of God? And you, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What Paul is saying, if you walk by the Spirit then you're a nonconformist. As you nonconform to the world, you are no longer gratified by the desires of the world. That though this world has everything, this world has nothing for me. Though this world has everything that's gratifying to me, none of it will gratify me because only the Spirit of God is what will gratify me, is what Paul is saying. Verse 17 of chapter 5 of Galatians. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Those two things don't go together. The world and the Spirit, they do not, they're oil and water. They cannot be joined together. And if I walk by the Spirit of God, then the things of the world will be contrary to me. If I walk by the things of the world, then the Spirit of God will be contrary to me. He says they are opposed. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And now Paul goes into what does it look like for us to be conformists of the world. In verse 19. Now the works of the flesh, the way to conform to the flesh or conform to the world are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. And so for me this morning, as I read that passage of Scripture, I've got to go through that passage of Scripture and say to myself, is there any of these things that are in my life? Is there sexual immorality in my life? Is there impurity in my life? Is there sensuality in my life? Is there anything that's idolatrous in my life? Is there sorcery in my life? Is there enmity uh, amongst people or with God in my life? Is there strife? Is there fits of rage in my life? Is there jealousy in my life? Paul goes on to say, or anything else like this. Like, if you don't think that's a complete enough lift, then, then here's the rest of it. And so this morning, I've got to say to myself, do I conform to the world? And here's a checklist for you and for me to know if we conform to the world. If you and I come to this checklist and say, man, there's this thing in my life that is, yes, check, that's in my life. Then Paul is saying to us here in Galatians, First Peter is telling us, Peter is saying to us, then you're a conformist then you're conforming to the world. And if you conform to the world, you cannot be holy. That's what he's going to tell us in the next passage of Scripture. And so he goes on to say, is any of that true for you? He says, I warn you as I warned you before, 
that those who do such things will not, what, inherit the kingdom of God. That's a scary verse. He's saying if any of these things in your life that are unrepentant in your life, then there's no way for you to inherit the kingdom of God. If you're a conformist, you cannot enter into God's kingdom. But here's the hope for us. And here's how we know for non-conformists. This is what a non-conformist looks like, is what Peter, or Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit, or the non-conformists look like this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and such things that are, and such things are, are, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and the passions and its desires. He's saying for us, okay, if you want to be a nonconformist, are these things in your life? Now here's the part of this passage that's so important. It's in that first few words. But the fruit of the Spirit, underline the word fruit. It does not say the fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit. All of these things must be in my life for me to be a nonconformist. These all must check out in my life. I can't say, yeah, well, I have some joy. I've got no peace. I've got no patience. I've got kindness. I've got goodness. I some, have some faithfulness. Gentleness is kind of out of the picture. No, what Paul is telling us, if we're to be nonconformist, all these things must be present in our life. They're only going to be present in my life when I submit my will and my life over to Christ's care. I cannot live out the fruit of the Spirit apart from the Spirit being in me. If the, fruit, if, the, if the seed of the Spirit is not in me, the Holy Spirit, if that seed is not in me, then that, that Spirit will not give fruit to any of those things. If I plant an apple seed in the ground, it will not produce orange, oranges, correct? The same is true. If I plant the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is planted in my life, then the promise is these things will be of fruition in my life. If the Holy Spirit is present in my life, then I will have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All those things will be present. If I'm a nonconformist, then I have to have all those things in my life. Is that true for us here at Powell's Chapel? Would it be true for us as a church if people were to come into our church that are far from the Lord, would they look at the fruit of the Spirit and say, man, that church is full of love. That church is full of joy. That church is full of peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Is that true for us as a church? The next question is, is that true for me as a believer? Are those true for you? If they're true for you or they're true for me, then we are nonconformist. You see, the problem with the church of America is the church of America has become, become a church of conformists. I, I just read an article this week uh, about uh, there's more uh, sexual immorality or sex before marriage in the church than there is outside the church. That more professing believers of Jesus Christ have more sex outside of marriage than those who are outside of relationship with God do. And I think it's because of this one reason. Well, he'll forgive me. And so we, we, we err on grace. And grace is a great thing. I'm not saying don't err on grace. But we're never to take grace cheaply. 
And for us to say, oh, I can do things contrary of the will of God in my life because God's grace will forgive me of that. We're going to see here in a moment that that's a big no-no is what Peter's going to tell us. We're never to take grace and cheapen grace. See, for me to say, I can live however I want because I'm a believer and I can conform to the world because I'm a believer and Christ forgive me, that, that's not what the gospel talks about. That's not what Peter's going to talk about. That's nowhere in the epistles. That's cheapens grace. And so the call on our lives as believers is we are to live separately from the world. We are to not conform to the world. But here's the deal. When you uh, no longer conform to the world, then you better do the first two things. You better live a life that's prepared for battle. And you better live a life that's sober-minded. Because if you begin to live a life contrary to the world and very um, surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and you're not sober-minded, not prepared for battle, you will get burned. Like you will be defeated every time. And so for us, are we ready for the battle of being nonconformist? Are we ready for that battle? Here's the last thing that Peter says in 1 Peter. He says, Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as you are called, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Verse 16, Since it is, it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, we'll end with that part of the verse this morning, and we'll come back and finish the rest next week. The next thing is we must remember our father. See, God is never going to call us something. He's never going to call us to something that he cannot accomplish in us. See, I've got to remember God as a father, as a good father. You see, a good father is never going to call his child to something if he knows the child cannot accomplish it. That would be a wicked father. And so, God, we must remember that God is our father and God is calling us to holiness. And if God calls us to holiness, then we have to be able to live a holy life. God is not going to call us as a good father to something he knows that we cannot accomplish. Now, here's the flip side of that is God is going to call you to holiness knowing you cannot accomplish holiness on your own. You see, as a dad, a good dad, a good dad is going to give out things to their sons and daughters that they can accomplish with their help. See, I cannot live a holy life. You cannot live a holy life if God himself is not enabling me to live a holy life. I cannot live a holy life on my own. It will end in a disaster every time. You see, this call to holiness will deepen our dependency on God. See, if I read this text and say, okay, God, you've called me to be holy for you are holy, then how is that going to happen? The only way for me to live out holiness is to remember that God is my Father, and when I remember God is my Father and my loving Father, I will lovingly submit to Him. And in submitting to Him as my Father, then I submit to Him that He will lead me and guide me. That He, I will trust Him. I think that's the thing for us in the church. Do we really trust God, not that God is God and that God is Lord and that God is our salvation, but do we trust that God is our Father? And that He's a good Father. 
Do I trust that God will lead me in the ways of righteousness? Do I trust that God will lead me in the ways of holiness? Do I remember that God has called me to be holy for he himself is holy? He himself gives us the perfect example of what holiness looks like. He's not calling us to something without giving us a picture of what holiness looks like. It'd be like this. It'd be real cruel. I would never do this to my kids. But it'd be like me taking a thousand-piece puzzle, dumping it out on the ground, and taking the box with no picture on it and say, good luck. I don't know if you've ever done a puzzle without the picture. It's almost impossible. Like, I need a picture to see, okay, how does this, all these thousand pieces, going to add up to look like this? And that's what God is saying to us. God is saying, hey, I am the picture of holiness. If you try to look out, outside of anything else other than me to figure out what holiness is, you're going to come up empty. Like, you cannot look at my life and see what holiness is. I do want to be a reflection of that, but you've got to look past me to what I'm looking to, and that's God. I've got to look at God, the Father, and His holiness and say, okay, God, you've called me to holiness. What does that look like? And what it looks like is this, that we would live set-apart lives. That's what the word holy means, to live set-apart. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. He says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God for us to live holy lives we must be imitators of God is that true about my life is that true about your life this morning could you say to someone hey be imitators of God the way I imitate God that's what Paul says to uh the, the church, he says, hey, imitate me as I imitate God. Could, could I say that to somebody? See, God is calling us here through Paul and through Peter to be imitators of God as what? Beloved children of God. You see, here's the deal. As we come back to God the Father and we are his children, it's pretty obvious who my kids are in this building. It's pretty obvious. They kind of look like me, unfortunately. Cedar, more fortunate. I wish, never mind, she's in the room. I can't say that. Uh, they have my DNA. And so it's very obvious. Like when they grow older, it's very obvious that they are siblings, correct? If I brought Tennyson and Cedar, no one would be like, nah, I, don't know if they, I don't know if they belong to each other. No, we'd be like, yeah, they, they pretty much look dead on. And that's what God is saying to us. If we are his children, then we're going to look like the Father. He's called us. He's told us that. We are now new creations. And at the moment of new creations, we take on the DNA of God himself. When we became justified through Christ Jesus, he implanted the Holy Spirit into us. Once he implanted the Holy Spirit into us, he implanted into us new spiritual DNA. Therefore, now we are God and we belong to God and God is in us and we will become more and more and more like him. Is that true for you? Is that true for me? When I go out of this church and I go into the world, will people say, man, he looks different. He belongs to somebody else. I'm sure here, more than what I grew up in, 
I know this to be true because of where Jenny comes from. Jenny can go into her hometown. It's a one blinking light. And uh, this is going to sound horrible. Her family all kind of, they all have the same look. All the Davises kind of have the same look. They look the same. And so she'll go out. I've seen it. Um, oh, you must belong to so-and-so. Mr. Mark must be your dad. Oh, you must be related to uh, Miss Marie down at the, the pharmacy. Is that true for us? When we go out, the people say, man, you look different. You must belong to God. Is that true for me? Do I bear the image of Christ? That's what he says to us. We are the Imago Dei. The Imago Dei means we are in the image of God. You see, we're not going to be in the image of God if we conform to the world. We'll look like the world. We'll talk like the world. We'll dress like the world. We'll be of the world. But when we become nonconformists, remembering that God is our Father, then we begin to look differently. Now, that's the whole way that I came to know Christ. It was because one guy, at the age of 15 years old, there was something uniquely different about him. The way he talked in the locker room was different than anyone else. The way he encouraged me was way different than anyone else. And I began to watch him live out his life for about a year before I finally said to Court, Court, what is different about you? And he said, man, I, I love Jesus, is what he told me. Uh, he said something like, you need to, too. And I was like, yeah, right, man. That's, that's, a, that's a lost cause. But for the next six months, he continued to be a nonconformist. And him living out his life in front of me that conformed to God rather than to the world is what gave me the opportunity to ask the questions. When I asked the questions, it opened me to a world of a relationship with God I had no idea about. And so for us, is that true? Therefore, Preparing your minds for actions and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that has been brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He, God, called you, is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Do I live holy in my conduct? 16. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, we're going to get to the judgment part next week. But for us this morning, are we setting our hope? And as we set our hope, are we preparing our minds and are we sober-minded? And are we maintaining our hope through obedience, through being nonconformist and remembering who we belong to? Let us pray. God, it's our relationship through Christ back to you is the only way that we'll live holy lives. God, apart from Christ, we cannot live a holy life. And so I pray for each of us in this place this morning, God, I pray that we would go through Galatians 5 and say, God, is there any of those things in my life that conform to the world? And God, if it's true that any of those things are in our life, I pray that this morning... We confess those things to you. And that through confession, God, it would lead us to repentance. And through repentance, God, we turn from those things. And therefore, then, God, we would live out the fruit of the Spirit in our life. God, I pray that we would be obedient children. 
that live as nonconformists to the world, remembering you as God the Father, our Father, we're your children, we belong to you, we have your DNA in us. I pray that be evident to a lost world. Continue to lead us as a church, God. Thanks for the study through 1 Peter. Already what it's done in the first few weeks, first month or so in my own life, and what I hear you're doing in the lives of other people through this study, God, I pray that you continue it. And lead us all the days of our life to be nonconformist, children of you. I pray this in Christ's mighty name. Amen.